Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, have you ever, I was thinking about this, have you ever been on a long trip, maybe a vacation, and, you know, you got tired of staying at the hotel, or maybe, you know, the beds are real hard, and the only thing you wanted to do was come home and sleep in your own bed. And you're just like, man, I just can't wait to my bed. And when you got home, you found that your teenage children had really trashed the house. Okay, maybe maybe not your kids. Let me let me use another illustration. Let me just use it like this. How about this? What if you, you know, like you were to buy your very 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 first home and you found it and you found your dream home but you realized that it needed some remodeling before you could move into it. Okay? It's like like it's livable but it's not the way you envisioned your home to your first home to be. And so what you do, like a lot of people, is they begin to remodel their houses, right? And so the remodeling begins, and you know you know what that entails, and, and you get to the point where it's like, okay, this has been a long time, and all you want to do is live in your home, but when you get there, guys, the kitchen is a mess. You know what I'm talking about? There's dust everywhere. Where the sink is supposed to go, there's nothing but an open hole, and you're just like, are you kidding me? And there's nails and boards, and you're just like, okay, this remodel is just out of control. And then you go into your bedroom, right? The place where you're going to find rest and peace, your bedroom. And you realize that the remodel has taken its toll there too, right? The master suite in the bathroom are a complete shamble, right? The remodel has taken place, and you want this to be your home. And, and you start to think, when will this ever be done, Right? And where is the contractor? What's going on? What's happening? This thing should have been done. My kitchen's a mess. The living room's a mess. The bedroom's a mess. I can't believe this, but I just want my home. I just want my home. And you leave your house that day very, very disappointed simply because you're ready for it to be done. On the other hand, you're also fulfilled. You say, Tasha, are you serious? Well, you're disappointed, but you're fulfilled. And you go, well, how so? Because it's your house. That's going to be your house. And you think about it, no more apartment stairs. No more apartment stairs. I see in the middle of winter, no more loud neighbors. Got to tell you a story. When Natalie and I just first moved here, we rented an apartment. And for some reason, it must have been an apartment that was built in 1930. Because the people upstairs, you could hear every step as they walked, and it would creak. It'd be like, and it was just driving us nuts. The creaking in the apartment upstairs was incorporated in your dreams. That's how loud it was. And it was such a, it was such a blessing when we moved out of that apartment into our home. Well, this is your home, they say. And although it's a mess right now, and although there's a hole where the sink should be, and, and, and you've got dust everywhere, and the fulfillment comes because you know that's your home. Well, if you're taking note, guys, I'm using that as an illustration, but if you're taking note, I'm calling this message tonight, Disappointing Fulfillment. 
disappointing fulfillment. And you say, why? Well, for tonight, for tonight, guys, we discover that the children of Israel, guys, the people that we've been walking through, they, we discover, guys, that they're coming home. And, and yet, over the past 70 years, the temple, the place of worship is, well, it's torn down. The walls around the city are torn down. There's no security. And they're coming home. And when they get there, they're going to be super bummed. And you go, why? But yet, there's going to be fulfillment because why? Because they're home. They're home. They're back in their homeland. Now, remember, guys, where we left off two weeks ago. The book of Ezra is, it falls into two sections, okay? If you're taking note, chapters 1 through 6, and this is important, it deals with the initial return of the remnant from Babylon under the leadership of Zerubbabel, okay? His Babylonian name, just so you don't get confused, is Sheshbazar, and in 538 B.C., he comes back, he pulls a bunch of people with the aim of restoring the temple, now you go, well, why didn't they want to go home and build houses? Why didn't they want to be a community? Why weren't they building grocery stores? Because the most important thing to the people and the children of Israel was the worship of God. That's the one thing that they wanted. They wanted to come back to worshiping their God because they realized that that was the very thing they needed. The very thing they needed is what they were coming back to. Well, they come back in 538 B.C., but the project doesn't begin until two years later. Two years later. And at 536 BC, guess what happens? They start to rebuild and opposition quickly, quickly arose, leading them to do the very thing you and I do in life when things get hard. You go, what happens? They abandoned the project. Things got really hard. There was some opposition. I'm out. I quit. Guys, 16 years, they just left it alone. 16 years. They came back. They had a mind. They had a heart. They were ready to focus to build this the, the foundation in the temple and get worship going again. And all of a sudden, no, you can't do that. Gets a little bit of opposition. Guess what they do? They say, all right, all right, I'm out. And 16 years, and through the ministries of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the construction begins again, and they finally come to completion, if you will, in 515 B.C. That's the first six chapters. Well, between chapter 6 and chapter 7, guess what we find? A 58-year gap. 58 years between these chapters. You go, well, what happened in, in between the 58? Well, guys, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you could sit here and go, the book of Ezra, I'm sorry, the book of Esther took place during this time. And then he comes back at chapter 7 at about 457 BC, and Ezra, the priest now, Pastor Ezra, if you will, he led a smaller group to return to the land to bring renewal to the people. So we're going to learn about the foundation. They're going to lift up the foundation for the worship of God. But in chapter 7 through the end of the book, we're going to see that God does something in the heart of his people. Wait a minute. Say that again, Pastor. When we learn to worship God... With all of our hearts, when we, when we have the right mindset, God does something amazing. He begins to fulfill and build a foundation in your heart. You go, whoa. So worship is that important. Listen, pastor, I got a question. I thought worship was just singing. We're just singing. 
You know, you put the songs up there, they're cool. Some of them I know, some of them I don't. But a lot of times when I'm, if I'm honest, Pastor, if I'm honest, when we're worshiping, sometimes I lift my hand, but sometimes I'm like other places. Sometimes I'm thinking, okay, I don't know this song. I wonder what I'm going to do for lunch tomorrow. And, and we get going and we gotta, we gotta reel it in and focus. Okay, I'm going to worship. Why? Because it does something for us, guys. It brings us over here where we realize the foundation of our heart is being built because life is going to be hard. And, and I need a foundation because when life starts to blow and, 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 and get hard and, I want to have a solid foundation because I've been worshiping. I've been worshiping. Well, the key lesson we learned a couple of weeks ago, guys, is that Israel has been in captivity for how many years? Seventy. And they've been in Babylon all that time. Now, if you're taking note, jot this down. Babylon is often a type of the world. A type of the world. And you know exactly the world I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the cosmos in the earth or the globe. I'm talking about the system that the earth wants to pull us human beings into and to keep us from walking closer to God, the world system. Why are you doing this? You shouldn't do that. Hey, listen, a little white lie is okay. Nobody's going to get hurt. And you can fudge, and I mean, it's all of this stuff, guys. And, and, and listen, we could go out and we could do all of these things. And, and, and again, think about it. It's Babylon has been a type. They've been there 70 years. You go, Pastor, I got a question. Why were they in Babylon? You really, really simple, simple answer. They were disobedient. They were disobedient. God had told them that they needed to honor the Sabbath. Every year, take the seventh year and rest. Let the round rest. The sixth year is going to double your crops. Don't worry. And I'm thinking, this is a good gig. This is a good gig. Every seventh year, take a vacation for a year. I'm in. Make enough money the sixth year so you don't have to work the seventh. Praise the Lord. What are we going to do for a year? We're just going to rest. They didn't do it. They worked every seventh year. Okay? 490 years go by. God's like, okay, okay, I'm calling, I'm calling the note, man. I'm calling you on the carpet. So now, guess what happens? Well, in the meantime, not only are they being disobedient on the Sabbath, but they're also, Jeremiah tells us, they're also worshiping idols. Wicked idols. They've actually walked away from Elohim, from the, from the God that created them, and they're worshiping the God of, of Molech. They're watching the God, they're, they're worshiping the God of Baal. They're worshiping the God of Mammon. They're worshiping these gods and they're just going, this is what we do. And, I'm, and, and, and God's like, okay. So Jeremiah spends 40 years, guys, 40 years. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. Guys, turn, turn, turn. It's imperative you turn. Judgment is on the way. Please get rid of your adultery, your, your idolatry. Please. Please. You go, why was, why was Jeremiah so passionate? Well, guys, he discovered that the idolatry had completely engulfed God's people to the extent where they walked away from the Lord and they were, what? 
They were worshiping these things? Yeah, 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 remember over here. Okay, okay, chapter one, we're worshiping God. But what happens? As we worship God, we come over here, and the foundation in our heart begins to build, and so we have a good, solid foundation. But what happens, church, when we're over here, and we're not worshiping God, but we're worshiping idols? Our foundation will crack. All of a sudden, we're at, well, I'm worshiping idols. Well, idols don't give me any strength. Idols will satisfy for a season. Oh, ah, this is good. The God of mammon. I have money. This is good. But it doesn't satisfy. And when life gets hard, help me, church. You've got to see this. Help me. What happens is that all of our money in the world can't fix when life gets really hard. All the money in the world. You guys remember, you guys remember our, our, our Sunday morning study when the noblemen came to Jesus 16 miles, right? From Capernaum to Cana. My son, my son's dying. Please, Jesus, come. It, he, the, the term nobleman means he probably had some cash. But all the cash he had was not going to change the fact that his son was dying 16 miles away from where he was. He needed Jesus. Now, here's my thought. Jesus spoke the word. Go your way. Your son is healed. Your son lives. And he did. Okay. But what if, what if, what if Jesus smiled and said, your son's going to die and he's going to be with me soon enough. Do we have, guys, the foundation in Jesus Christ because of our worship, because of our walk, that even when hard times come, even when the hardest times come in our lives, that we can stand secure? If we were to look at our lives for just a moment, I wonder how many of us would topple over because because of what? what the enemy throws at us. We topple over because oh, we haven't been worshiping and our foundation's weak. And Jeremiah says, guys, you've been engulfed in this. Don't worship these things. Well, they're not listening to Jeremiah. And so God raises up in what? He raises up a nation to discipline Israel. He raises up the Babylonians. You guys remember King Nebuchadnezzar, probably the greatest king who ever lived, comes in and wipes them out, takes them captive, okay, takes them back to where? Babylon. Now, Israel has been where? In an extended vacation, if you will, for 70 years. But God always keeps his promises. Now, sometimes in our walks with God, we feel like we're in this wilderness for 70 years. We feel like we're far away from God, but God will always keep his promise. And God goes, listen, 70 years, and I'm going to bring you back. I wonder how many people go, I don't think it's going to happen. It's 50 years, but I don't know. If God really loved me, he wouldn't wait 70. He'd wait 50. And guys, we do that with God all the time, don't we? If God really loved me, this would happen, and this would happen, and this would happen. And our biggest question to God at life goes, why? And there's a lot of times when we shouldn't ask God why. We just got to keep moving. You, you tracking with me? How many times do you want to go, why, God? Why this? Why that? Why this? Why, why, why? And God's like, really? Do you, do you, are you qualified right now? Do you feel like you can ask me this? I go, Lord, I, don't, I trust you. I don't know why right now. And maybe in this life, I'll never know why. 
But I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. So they're in the 70-year vacation, but God's going to keep his promise. So what happens? Well, for the sake of our study, we looked at it three weeks ago, but look at verse 1 of chapter or Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the first king of Cyrus, now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So they made a proclamation throughout his kingdom. And so he put it in writing. So we see God going, listen, what I'm going to do. Hey, 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 listen, Cyrus, you're going to let them go home. Why? Because I promised 70 years. Not one year sooner, not one year later, this is what God does. Cyrus doesn't have a clue what he's doing. He goes, hey, I got this weird feeling that I should let y'all go. Go home. Go set up. Worship God. Go home. And, and so they're like, are you serious? And he even makes a decree. And so God fulfills his promise. But I'll tell you what breaks my heart, church. What breaks my heart is that in most commentaries I read, they say anywhere from 500 to a million people were taken out of Israel. When when he says, go home, only 50,000 said, I'm going to go home. That's, you go 50,000, only 50,000 out of, let's just even, let's be conservative, out of 500,000, let's just say 50. You go, okay. See, many people stayed back in Babylon. A lot of people stayed. Now, here's the one thing we need to know. We need to note that some people stayed because they were old. I get it. They're older. You're not going to make that 900-mile journey. Come on. I'm not going to go, son. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to stay right here. Okay. Some were sick. Some were sick. Think about 900 miles from here. Probably California. About California from here. Let's see, who, who's ready to walk to California? I am. No, you're sick. We're not going to go. We're going to stay here. But I think what makes me the saddest, church, is that the people in those 70 years became really, really comfortable in Babylon. They didn't want to go home because they got real comfortable in the world. You know, they took a step back and said, okay, so here's what you're offering me. You're saying that I can go back to my homeland. I don't have a house there. Well, I mean, how, how, listen, I'm okay because I've got a good house. I've got a good job. I've got a great bank account. Do, do you see my, 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 my three chariot garage right here? Do you see this? This is, I mean, this is good. This is good. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, but what about the things of the Lord? Well, you know, I've got a great job here. I've got a really, Good job. Now, now listen, church, listen. It's not wrong to have nice things. So please don't go, Pastor Ben said we shouldn't have nice things. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when things keep us away from God, when things keep us from walking closer to the God we love, then, then it becomes an idol. And you know this, church. Jot this down. Anytime we take something good, and make it ultimate, it becomes an idol. And let me let you in a little secret. Those things are sneaky little devils. It happens in your heart, and sometimes you don't even realize that it's happening. You're like, listen, I crucified that thing. 
And next thing you know, it's because it's a good thing and you like good things. You're like, man. And so anything, guys, anything that's good that we make ultimate. And I think for me, I don't know about you, I think it's a daily battle into crucifying those things. To say, no, they need their proper place. I need to make God ultimate. Ultimate. So that's what's happening in chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, guess what we discover? We discover a census of the people who returned back to Israel. Now, for the for the sake of our study and time, we won't go through every name in chapter 2. You're welcome, okay? But I do have homework for you. You go, what's your homework? You need to read chapter 2 this week. So you just get a, you go, well, Ben, it's just a bunch of names. Well, yeah, but you know what? God put it in here, so it's important. But for the sake of our study, we know that it's going to come up to about 50,000 people. 50,000 people. So, that brings us to chapter 3, okay? The people are where? They're home. They're home. They made the 900-mile trip, and God is going to do something incredible. What's he going to do? He's going to continue to build his foundation in them. Now, the only problem we see is they came home to a mess. They came home to a mess. That's the problem. You go, they did. Well, think about it, guys. They, When they left, they had a wall all around the city where they felt protected. If you go to Israel today, you can go on the rampart, which is part of the city wall, and you can walk and oversee the rest of the city. And you can actually go, and then they have these where you could, where they would shoot. They're, they're just, it's a really neat thing. You're just like, wow. But now that's torn down for Israel. And so guess what? Anytime, any place, think about it, an enemy can come in and siege them, right? Besiege them and wipe them out. So they're scared. You know, Ben, why do they have to be scared? It happened before. Nebuchadnezzar came in. You're kidding me, right? You're kidding me. So an unwalled city, guys, meant fearful hearts. Going back to Jerusalem meant unsecure homes. They were going back to all of Israel, all of Israel. And so the question we have to ask this is, is they're probably asking, you ready? Should I obey the Lord and go to Jerusalem, even if it means my home and or my life would be in danger? Would be in danger. Right? Should I obey the Lord and go back to Israel, even if it means my little ones, my wife, my parents, my in-law, those that I love dearly, even if it means that we're in danger, should I go back? I mean, here's what you might be thinking. Let's, let's be honest, right? You're thinking, if I go back to Israel and I find a place to live, and then I go up to Jerusalem... What if thieves break in my house? Okay, think about it, guys. They didn't have alarm systems. They didn't have police on patrol. So, I mean, they're vulnerable. And so they're thinking, what if I go up and take all that I have? I don't have much. Now, remember, they did get plunder from the Babylonians. 
And so they have stuff, but think about it. Man, that could be lost. And then there I am in Israel, and I got nothing. Do I go? Do I go? The another question we should ask, what if robbers try and kill me as I make my way to Jerusalem? Right? Do you guys remember? Do you remember the story of the good Samaritan? He was coming where? He was coming up to go to worship and robbers and thieves, and they left him half dead. And so, I mean, think about it. These are questions that are, that are plaguing man. And, and this would leave me, guys, very vulnerable at this state. What do I do? And yet, yeah, yeah, here's what you said, Pastor. You said, I'm called to worship the Lord. Okay, now, here's the conundrum. I'm called to worship, but I'm leaving everything here, and I'm vulnerable, and... So where does my strength come from? Where does my strength come from? See, Israel realized that their strength comes from God. Their strength comes from the one true and living God. You go, what do you mean? Jot this down. Safety is found in worshiping the Lord Jesus. Safety is found, right? Because I've just painted a picture. Here you are going, listen, if somebody's going to break in, they can have this stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to go worship. I'm going to go worship. We were created to worship, and so the mindset has to be, where does my strength come from? It comes from Jesus. The second thing we need to realize is safety is found in worshiping the Lord. You go, well, Ben, how does that apply to me? Well, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down and look it up later. I'll read it to you. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he said to me, Paul is writing, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Did you catch that, church? My grace, the Lord says, is sufficient for you, whatever you're going through right now. And my strength, the Lord says, is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Upon me. You go, can you break that down? Let's break it down for just a minute, because this is an incredible verse, okay? Okay. So he says, and the Lord said to me, God had a response for Paul. The answer was not that Paul initially hoped for or expected, right? God's like, he's like, God, please, please, I've got this thorn in my flesh, please. And he's like, Paul, chill out, dude. My strength is going to be made perfect. Where? In your weakness. Like Nathalie says, I hate weakness. There's, how many of us boast in that? Guess what? I'm excited. Why? I'm so weak. Yay. We don't, right? Our legs falling off and we're like, I hate weakness. Come on. Right? Our back is tweaked and hurting, and we're like, come on, I can still do this. I can do this. I'm okay. We don't like to boast in weakness, but here's what Paul is saying. He says, listen, this is not the response he hoped for. We often close our ears to God if he responds in a way that we didn't expect. 
Guys, Paul was desperate in his desire to find relief from his burden. But there are two ways to get relief. You ready? You go, what is it? It can come by removing the load. You with me? You've got this burden. You've got this challenge. You're just struggling. Relief comes by, take it off. Help me. That's the first way. Or the second way, guys, is by strengthening the shoulders that bears the load. So what the Lord just told Paul, instead of taking away the thorn, God says, I'm going to strengthen you under it. And so that you would know, Paul, that it's God's strength in your apparent weakness. You're like, wow. Listen to this. Charles Spurgeon, the great pulpiteer, once said, great tribulation brings out the great strength of God. If you never feel inward conflicts in sinking of soul, you do, know, now, you do not know how much of an upholding power of God. But if you go down, down into the depths of soul anguish till the deep threatens to shut her mouth upon you, and then the Lord rides upon a cherub and does fly, yea, rides upon the wings of the wind and delivers your soul and catches you away to the third heaven of delight, then you perceive the majesty of, of divine grace. Oh, there must be a weakness of men felt, recognized, and mourned over, or else the strength of the Son of God will never be perfected in us. End quote. Did you hear what he said? He said those times in our lives, guys, when we feel weak and tired and our strength is gone, that's when our greatest strength comes because it comes from the Lord. Hey Amen. How did you get through your adversity? How did you get through the times when you just felt like you couldn't take another step? How did you get, how did you get through the times when you felt like you just couldn't breathe? Only, only answer to that is the Lord. It's the Lord. Listen, listen. Okay, if you hear nothing else in this message, listen. I want my worship, I want my worship of God to be so pure and so clean that it builds my foundation. That if life rocks my world to the point where I'm going, it's hard just to breathe, I still want to know that he's God. I have to. I have to know that his strength is the one that keeps me waking up every single day. I want to know that his strength is the one that helps me to face the stresses and the trials and the tribulations. Guys, it can't be anything else. None of the other stuff that I've made an idol is going to help me get through this. It's got to be the worship of who God is. Do you see it? Do you see it? As you worship the Lord, he begins to strengthen you in your weakness. That's what Charles Spurgeon says. So in order to get the feel, guys, of what the people are feeling at this point, okay? They've walked 900 miles, and I would walk 900 miles, and they're over here, right? And all of a sudden, guess what? Now they're scared. Now they're freaking out. And I was like, man, what do we do? 
but they're going to rely on something that I would beg that you and I would grasp. Okay, learn the principle. You go, what's that? They need to learn the principle that they've learned throughout history. You see, the Bible tells us this. Faith cometh by hearing. Who knows that verse? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the nightly news. Pastor, you're silly. I get no faith from watching the nightly news. Not that I watch the nightly news, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Hey, listen, here's a simple principle. If you want your faith to grow, what should you be doing? In the word of God, right? Well, that's what Israel's going to do. You go, how so? Well, check it out, guys. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 14 real quick, okay? Because I want to show you the principle. You should already be there, chapter 14, but picking it up in verse 8, here's the story. And Asa, notice that, everybody say amen if you're there. And Asa had an army of what? 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears. Way to go, guys. And from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. Okay, so, so, I mean, here it is, man. There it is. And, and, and all of these were mighty men of valor. Now I'm like, yes! This is good. This is good. Build an army. But Zira, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men, 300 chariots, and he came to Marishah. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Seriously? Seriously, I'm, out, I'm, 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 out, I'm outnumbered. So Asa, verse 10, went out against him, and he set the troops in battle array in the valley as Zephathath at Marishah. Everybody with me? Look at verse 11. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord, O God. We rest on you, and in your name we go against the multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with them pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away much spoiled. Now, if you are an underliner, you got to underline verse 12. Why? Because here it is, man. You are strategically outnumbered. You're blown away. These guys got a million men, 300. There's no way we can win. Ever been there? Ever been there? There's no way we can win. No. Except one plus God is the majority. And so God says, I'm going to show up on your behalf. Do you realize as believers, God's showing up on our behalf? And God goes, watch this. And, and again, so the Lord, everybody say that. So the Lord, who? So the Lord struck the Ethiopian. I love this. This is what the Israelites are going, the Lord did something. The Lord did it. The Lord's going to do something. He's going to do something. Are you outnumbered? Are you outnumbered? The Lord's going to do something. The Lord's going to do something. Two to one. Two to one. Dude's bigger, stronger. Lord's going to do something. 
Lord's going to do something. Lord's going to do something. The Lord was the one who defeated the Cushites, guys. The Lord defeated. So this is the mindset. Everybody got me? Everybody? Ch- chapter three. This is the mindset, okay? So that with our intro, let's jump into it real quick, okay? So if you're taking now verses one through six of chapter three, we're going to see that the sacrifices begin, okay? Notice verse one of chapter three in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, and it says, And when the seventh month had come, the children of Israel were in the cities, and the people, together, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Okay? So those who returned, what did they do, church? They purposed to obey the Lord and go to Jerusalem. Here's what I want you to note. They responded to the fear of the inhabitants of the land. How? By building an army? By recruiting? By, by getting a hold of Egypt and saying, hey, will you, will you back us up? Will you be my backup? Hey, come on. No, no, no. They responded by building an altar, guys, and renewing Israel's worship according to the instructions of the law of Moses. They come back to Jerusalem. This is what we're going to do. How are we going to fight? We're going to worship. How are we going to fight? We're going to worship. Now listen, listen. Again, in our lives, guys, we fight spiritual battles every day. Do you understand that? Okay, do you, do you really get it? Do you understand, as a believer in Jesus, the enemy wants to take you out. He wants to trip you up. He wants to blow your testimony. He's a spiritual... You go, Pastor, I'm not even worthy for the enemy. Listen, you are a... First of all, you're created in God's image, which he hates. Now you're a believer and he hates. And listen, there is never a day in your life, there's never a day in your life where you go, listen, enemy, listen, Satan, I've got a bad hair day, leave me alone. I've had a bad week, I've had a bad month, I've had a bad year. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going in for the kill. We understand, Pastor, you're... Man, you're so negative. No, no, no. I'm letting you know that, guys, we are in a spiritual battle. Okay? But when you're in a spiritual battle, here's what Israel does. They go, let's worship. Let's, let's worship. Right? Let's, let's, let's worship. True confession? I have a hard time with that. My flesh wants to control and fix and help, and inquire, and I need some people on my team. And the Lord says, no, 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 listen, it's a spiritual battle. Let's worship. Let's worship. Look at verse 2. Then Jeshua, the son of Zadok, and his brother, the priest of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and his brethren arose and built an altar to the Lord God of Israel to what? To offer burnt offerings on it. Yes. How? As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they'd set an altar on its bases and they'd offer burnt offerings on it. Both morning and evening, they offered burnt offering. If you're taking note, guys, you need to understand Jeshua is a priest. He's the grandson of Saria, the high priest. And he was put to death by Nebuchadnezzar at Riblah. You can find that in 2 Kings chapter 25. His father, uh, Josedek, had been carried to 
captive to Babylon, but he died there. So Jeshua comes back. What's the first thing he does? He builds an altar. Now we know who Zerubbabel is, okay? <clears throat> this was of urgent and immediate necessity in order first to make atonement for their sins and secondly to obtain divine blessing and their preparations of the temple. The first thing they do is they come back and say, okay, let's go. Let's build the altar. Let's get this day and night. Why? Listen, they hadn't had Jesus yet. They're still in the old sacrificial system. It's still worship to them. <clears throat> now, just a side note, just a side note, church. We can respond to fear in a couple of ways. The first way we can respond to fear by getting in the flesh. Or we can respond to fear by worshiping the Lord. Amen? Let's see if we can instill this in our hearts today, church. Next time we're afraid, next time we're uncertain about the future, let's make it a habit to worship the Lord. You go, Pastor, what does that mean? Do I sing just anywhere? Sing, sing loud, pray, meditate, just worship him. Worship him. And that, I mean, think about it, right? Notice what verse 3 says. Even though the people were afraid from the local residents, they still rebuilt the altar in its old site. Why? Because they were going to respond to fear by worship. They were going to respond to fear by worship. You go, well, what's the other side of this? Well, the other side of this, guys, of this point, is that the sin in our lives will rob us of joy and endanger our lives. Verse 4 says, and they also kept a feast of tabernacles, that is, is written, and they offered what? Daily burnt offerings in the number required by the ordinance each day, so they're worshiping. Afterwards, they offered a regular burnt offerings for the, what? For those in the new moon and all those appointed the feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those, everyone willing to, uh, offered a freewill offering to the Lord. Verse 6, from when? The first day of the seventh month as they began to burn offerings to the Lord, although the foundations of the temple had not been laid. So the first thing they do, guys, is they take care of sin. You guys with me? The first thing they do is what? To make atonement for their sins. Let's deal with that. And then to what? To offer divine blessings. In your mind, what's going on at their homes down the road? We don't know. But we don't care. We don't care because we're here to worship the Lord. Guys, the altar was erected on the first day of the seventh month. Do you see that? Which was the beginning, if you will, the Feast of Trumpets. So they even start off with the Feast of Trumpets. Then they move into the burnt offerings day and night. And in verse 4, they actually move to the Feast of Tabernacles. You go, what does that mean? They're actually going back saying, we need to keep these. Why? 70 years early and beyond, they were worshiping idols. They weren't even keeping the feast, guys. They were like, Psh. And now they go, okay, okay, I've seen the light. I've seen the light. Well, here, here's the point, guys. 
the people worshiped the Lord no matter what was going on in their lives. And here's what they do. They actually purposed to worship God. They purposed. What's the application? Here's the application for us, okay? What happens when we worship the Lord? Well, number one, if you're taking note, our worship renews us. It renews us, right? You come in and, and, and basically you go, what happens? As you begin to worship, you feel his presence begin to cleanse you and draw you back into his presence. Not because of who we are, but because of who is. So just remember, worship renews us. That's the first thing. Okay, I've got it. Okay, so what does it do? It, it, it renews us. And, and we confess, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Our petitions, Lord, please, accepting our pardon, it renews us. Guys, the second thing worship does, guys, when we worship, we're in the throne room of God. We're in the throne room. You go, no, I'm not. I'm at Calvary Chapel. No, 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 no. When you worship, you're at in the throne room. You're not setting your foot in a building or in a meeting with other believers. You're not even just worshiping God from afar. Spiritually, through Jesus, guys, you have actually entered into the Holy of Holies. You're there in the throne room. It's like, wow. We have to be so careful. We have to be so careful because there we are in the throne room and we're singing our hearts out to God. And the enemy wants to distract us every way he possibly can. And some of us, we're so observant, we need to close our eyes doing worship so we can focus on the Lord. I have a hard time when I go to other churches to worship God, even though the music is amazing, because I'm going, why do they do that up there? Oh, I'd like to do that at my church. Wow, why do they do that? And I'm just like, you know, my brain doesn't stop to worship God. I'm going, oh, I mean, I got to close my eyes. Okay, okay. Bless the Lord. And I just want to get into his presence. The third thing worship does, guys, and you can jot this down, it's our primary weapon. The Apostle Paul tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal, they're not flesh, but they have divine power to destroy, to destroy strongholds. So it's our primary weapon. Worshiping, worshiping. Well, the foundation has begun, verses 7 through 11, and we'll move quickly. They also gave money to the mansions and the carpenters, the masons, I'm sorry, and the carpenters, food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now, a lot of us, which is really cool, we've been to Joppa. And when you go there, you can see how they would come through the Mediterranean Sea and they're bringing all of this stuff and it's just like, man, so now in the second month of the second year of coming to the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadok, um, and the rest of their burden, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the works in the house of the Lord. Then Jeshua with his brother, well, his sons and his brother, Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah arose as to oversee the work of the house of God. The sons of Hanadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. So 
we got this work going. We got this work going. And what they do is they start up. Listen, here's the cool thing. They start appointing people to do the work of the ministry. Okay, what are you good at? Boom, you do it. There was nobody going, well, how much am I going to get paid? They all had the same heart and the same mind to work. Guys, it's the same thing in your church. We have our core values that we want to use. What? We need to love God, love people. When we love people, we're going to serve people and we're going to live radically at our jobs and, and everywhere we go. We're going to live radically. How do you live radically? Listen, we need to be telling people about Jesus every single day. Well, pastor, they won't listen to me. They're just, just live radically. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Now, here's just a side note, okay? Just a side note. The foundation was laid in the spring of 535 BC, bringing a close to 70 years of captivity because it actually started in 605 BC. You go, why would you give us that information? Here's why. Listen, because the skeptics will always say, well, the Bible contradicts himself. But everywhere God says, here's a little nugget to let you know it's true. If captivity started in 605 and the foundation was laid when? Guys, in 535, that's about 70. Yeah, that's about right. Why? Because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Look at verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation in the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel and trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was made. What's that? Listen, they were excited. Here's what happens to us. We're Christians. And so when we get excited, we do golf clap. Praise the Lord. They're shouting. Are you serious? When our team scores a touchdown, are we not shouting? Woohoo! Way to go! Wow! What a play! Jesus saved somebody. Oh, praise the Lord. God bless you. I don't know about you. They're excited. They're excited about God. Listen, listen. Can I, can I challenge you, church? You ready? If you would just get so fired up for Jesus, all of your friends and all of your family would come just to watch you burn. Just fired up. Oh, trust me, they're gonna get it, they're gonna get bugged with you. He's it's just obnoxious. All he does is talk about Jesus all the time. I can't believe it. All the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. And what are they singing, guys? What are they singing? They're singing the word of God. Jot this down. Psalm 136 verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Guys, listen. We go to great lengths to make sure that we are trying to sing the word of God. Pastor, how come we never sing I Can Only Imagine? Anybody know that song? I can know only. Why would, because that's all about us. We want to sing the word of God because it's all about God. 
Okay, so you with me? I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm over here. Look at me. The worship of the Lord is the worshiping of the Lord. Okay? It's not the worship of us. Newsflash, okay? Church is not about us. Everybody know that? Well, I thought church was about me and what, and, and, and what I like. Church has never been about us. It's always been about the worship of God. It's always about coming in and going, I need to learn. I need my foundation. Okay, so we begin to worship the Lord. We get to see who he is. And over here, he begins to build the foundation in us. <sighs> now I got weapons to face tomorrow. And I'm singing the word of God. Let's close. Let's close. Let's land this puppy with the last two verses. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to see. The last point is mingled joy with weeping. You go, what do you mean? It was a disappointed fulfillment. How so? Look at verse 12 with me. Many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's house, old men who had, who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice with the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. And yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise between the shout of joy and the shout of weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. You go, Pastor, what's happening? Guys, the older generation came back, and they weeped out loud because the new temple was only a fraction of what Solomon's temple was, and they were heartbroken. I remember, I remember Solomon said 50 years earlier, I remember it was beautiful and it was gorgeous and we worshiped God and God deserves our very best. Can I get an amen? And now, this is just a fraction and yet the other side of that coin is the people shouted because the foundation was being laid. So you have weeping with joy. You're like... You go, well, what's the application? Really simple. You may not be where you want to be, but you're definitely not where you were. And every day, you go, well, you know what? I sort of pictured my life like old Solomon's temple. I sort of pictured my life. Here's what you need to do. You need to go, I'm rejoicing that the foundation is laid. Because when the foundation is laid, then I'm able to worship the Lord. And that's where I am. I'm just worshiping the Lord. Yeah, but you know what? Don't you think you should? How long have you been walking with? Listen, the foundation's laid. And that's where I need to start. So many people don't shout for joy because they're judging the foundation and everything else that goes around it. And you can picture this, right? Well, it's not very big, is it? And it's not going to be like the old days. Remember the old days? Stop. God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing in your life. He's doing a new thing in my life. And he wants to take and use all of us misfits to reach Lubbock, Texas. That's what he wants to do. Right? He's doing a new thing. So we say goodbye to the past. And we say, okay, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to worship you. We want to worship you. Last point. Worship 
Worship. Foundation. Foundation. I'm with you, Lord. I'm with you. God, as we worship you tonight, build that foundation in our hearts. We ask this. And Lord, if we need to shout, we need to shout. We need to praise you. We need to praise you. But build that foundation in our hearts, God, because we need you. We can't do life without you, God. We don't want to do life without you. We need you right now. Right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.